Welcome to If It Ain't Baroque Podcast, your friendly history special. We are your hosts, Gemma. Hi. And Natalie. Welcome, or as they would say in early modern English, right trusty and well-beloved, we greet you well. Welcome to our first Halloween special. Our guest today is Chris Riley. You may know him from the Historian's Magazine. Chris, Gemma and I are going to talk all things Black Plague. Hope you enjoy the episode. Hello. Hey, how are you doing? You okay? How are you? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. How are you? Very good, thank you. You're good. Thank you for joining us. No problem, thanks for having me. Do you want to tell us the basics about the Black Death? So I guess a good place to start is is surprisingly about 700 years before um, the, the, the period that, you know, is, is most commonly discussed when you're talking about the Black Death, so... Everything that I'm going to say pretty much starts with a we think, because we we really don't know still um, at this point. But we think that Yersinia pestis caused what we now call the Black Death or the Black Plague. But in the medieval period, they probably just called it the Great Pestilence or something like that. But like I said, we'll, we'll go back sort of seven, eight hundred years prior. And, you know, back in the sixth century, there's the, the Plague of Justinian. Um, which we think, again, um, is the same as the Black Death. It seems to be this, the descriptions of it seem to be very, very similar. So it's been around for a long time um, and it's actually still around now. Um, you can get it in the in continental US, you can get it in Madagascar, uh, in Mongolia and China. There's still, you can still get the bubonic plague, which is is pretty terrifying to be honest. But um, if we're talking specifically the, the 14th century outbreaks of the, of the Black Death in the, in the 1340s and 1350s, um, again, we're not really sure where it starts. Probably the best guesses is it comes out of kind of central China and Mongolia. You know, those, there's the Silk Roads that connect east to west. And it makes the most sense to me anyway, that the Black Death with, you know, with all the trade and everything like that, it was it was carried quite quickly through to Europe in, in the 1340s. I guess the first major sighting, or again, this is all very much speculation, but kind of origin story for the European outbreak in, in 1347 is, is it starts with the Mongols, as a lot does in this period. Um, so the Mongols are um, sieging the town of Kaffa, which is in the Crimea. Um, it was a Genoese-held trading port, and there's even rumours that they were throwing plague-ridden bodies over the over the walls. But I think that's a, a later um, addition. But as far as I know, um, the Mongol camp was riddled with this this disease that people didn't know at the time. Um, and the Genoese that were leaving to go back to Europe were carrying this with them, whether that was in the fleas, on the rats that we we kind of all commonly um, attribute to this. Again, it's still up for some debate whether that was the way of traveling. I think it was. It's the most likely. But yeah, with the summer of 1347, we, you know, these ships start arriving in, you know, Constantinople, back in Italy and Spain, and uh, slowly but surely, and then very, very rapidly, people start um, getting very, very ill. Um, the famous black buboes that would cling to your armpits and your neck and your groin and, and, you know, would kill within, you know, a matter of days, it, you know, maybe you would get two weeks, but it, it can't have been a very, uh, very pleasant thing to have to go through. So you say that it wasn't commonly called the Black Death at the time. So when did that name come about? As far as I know, it's a Victorian invention, like most things are yeah. about this period. You know, Wars of the Roses, the Plantagenets, it, these are all Victorian inventions. But Vikings? Um, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> the horned helmets on Vikings, the old chestnut. But um, yeah, at the time, it was probably just referred to as, you know, the Pestilence or the Great Plague or, you know, something like that. They they didn't have snappy names like we have for everything now. So mm. the colour black is is often associated with death and, and things like that. But it was also the colour of the horrible sores that would kind of emerge after a day or two of, of symptoms. 
Mm. When I was um, I was talking to my my son who's eighteen, and um, when COVID happened, there was so much comparison between the two, mm. and he seen like media reports and things like that, and they were saying, "Oh, it's the next plague." So when I was telling him I was doing this podcast, he said, "Oh, was it just like the flu, just like COVID?" No, it's not. How useful do you think it was for the media to compare the two of them? I think it was, and it wasn't. I mean, I wouldn't be, I'd be lying if I said I didn't compare them mm-hmm. as, you know, just a regular person, but also as a historian as well. I think there were, there were lessons to be learned from, you know, the, like I said, the 14th century outbreak and then later in the 17th century. There are things to learn in terms of potential treatment and, and things like that. But I think as you, you've, you've used a fantastic example there of how it creates a real fear mm-hmm. of, well, you know, we know what happened at this point. Is, it, is this going to happen again? And I think it's it's very easy to draw comparisons and that there are a lot of them. There are a lot of parallels between, you know, the two pandemics. They both pretty much came from the same place. They both spread very, very rapidly and realistically took a, a you know a population by surprise. Through the wonders of modern medicine, the effects of COVID-19, awful as they were, were much, you know, they were reduced compared to, you know, the Black Death that may have killed up to 60% mm. of the population of Europe. I'm pretty sure Florence um, lost 95% of its inhabitants because there's just no treatment for this. There is now, you can have antibiotics, you know, you can get the plague and survive. But, you know, bubonic plague was one thing, but then you had pneumonic plague which was even worse, which had a death rate of over 90%, which was essentially a silent killer. You didn't know you had it until you were dead. It only took about two days to kill you. Not that that's much better than about a week, but yeah. you know, we, we hear of the of the bubos and, and the fever and all this. But you know, if you got pneumonic plague, it was essentially the chest infection from hell. Um, and it would kill you within about 48 hours. So yes, it's a good comparison. You know, it's this global catastrophe that's, you know, going to, as we are living in now, you know, even the fact that we're doing this over Zoom is a, is a, is a symptom of, of COVID-19. Yes, there was fundamental changes as well after the Black Death, but it's just not even close to the scale of the Black Death, you know, luckily, because the chances are a lot more people would uh, unfortunately have, have passed away if, if it was the case. Because mm, that's what I thought when he said that to me, I thought, well, obviously, yeah, you would compare it because there's just nothing that we went through mm. that you could uh, compare it to, really. Um, and it did feel like that at the beginning. You know, we didn't know what was going on. It, it could have been that way. But at the same time, I think it's now for maybe like the younger generation, like his generation, who are not that interested, and he's not that interested in history, they might minimise what happened during the actual plague. Because mm. I don't think he thinks it's that bad anymore. Yeah, I think I think that's actually probably quite accurate because now we've, in quotation marks, we've lived through it. Mm-hmm. You know, we've lived through something somewhat similar but you know as much as the death rates for covid were horrendous and you know i'm not ever going to take away from that or trivialize it but to lose optimistically 40 percent of the population is not something i don't think we can comprehend you know that's almost half the people you've ever met gone you know that's half the workforce it would completely destroy society it would probably have a worse effect on society now i think than it did in the 14th century based on you know, how much we rely on other people, we rely on services. So, you know, I hope we never, ever have to deal with a situation like that. But, you know, I guess the closest we could probably say COVID-19 was to was to the 1918 Spanish flu mm. pandemic. Again, yeah. much, much worse in terms of death toll. But, you know, you even see pictures of, you know, people wearing masks and isolation and things like that. It's a little bit more close to, you know, what we went through over the last few years. But, it's so hard to comprehend. 75 to 200 million people died within the space of about two years. That's a ridiculous. It's more than both world wars put together. It's, you know, it's, it's a horrendous amount of people. 
See, when, if you read online, all the historians, they have like different numbers for the amount of mm. casualties there were. I mean, obviously the reason is sources and that, but uh, the lack of sources, sorry. So what is it that um, we're lacking in that time period that would give us accurate numbers? I think the biggest contributor is, well, it's two things. I think it's ultimately, you know, like you said, there just isn't isn't records for, you know, regular people. Yeah, we know that Edward III lost a daughter, Joan, to the Black Death. We know where she died, when she died very specifically. Whereas, you know, the clergy, the blacksmiths, the, you know, the peasants in the fields, we, there's just too many of them and, and no one really cared, you know, for lack mm-hmm. of a better phrase. But yeah. I also think that the speed of it caused, you know, how could you even begin without the internet to even orchestrate a, you know, record collection of potentially 100 million people dying? I just don't believe it would have ever have been possible to record deaths accurately. I, I just think they completely lacked the infrastructure to do something like that. But ultimately, it comes down to poor people not mattering um, at this period of history. You talked about rats. So what are the other ideas that could have been spread other than rats? Yeah, so the, the rats is the one that I think we all learn at school or mm-hmm. the, the main source of, of the Black Death or the plague. Fleas on rats, jumping to humans, giving you the plague. But, you know, as you, as you quite rightly say, there were multiple different suspected sources of the plague. The other main one is kind of the divine wrath of God. Clearly something has gone fundamentally wrong from a religious point of view um, to cause this level of pain and destruction. It's a very religious time. There's no getting away from that. You know, the church has an immense control over society. So it was the logical. It seems illogical for us now with modern medicine. But at the time, it's it's a completely logical suggestion that it's purely God is not happy with with these people. So, you know, get rid of them. I guess the, the counter argument to that at the time was, well, why are so many children dying? Why are the the innocent? The, the clearly, you know, they've never had, they've not lived long enough to commit sin. Why are they dying? So, you know, people were really questioning their own faith. You can see why, like I said, in just the numbers alone, 40, 50, 60, 70% of the entire population gone, you're going to start to question it. There were some kind of stranger suggestions and some pretty awful ones as well. Unfortunately, the Jewish community, um, as often is the case, was blamed for the Black Death. You know, the, the usually the easiest scapegoats, and they were unfortunately blamed again. But also cats, dogs, giant worms, all sorts of stuff were, were blamed from, you know, from the logical mm. and to the very, very much illogical. But it it sounds strange to say in 2023, but we still don't know how it spread so rapidly. You know, it spread from China to Ireland. It was from Russia to, you know, North Africa. This isn't a European phenomenon. This isn't an Asian, a pan-Eurasian phenomenon. This is a this is as global as it gets, really, until the accidental rediscovery of the Americas. It's arguably, I would say, the most important and shocking and earth-shattering and changing event of the entire millennia that is the medieval period. I don't think there's anything that compares. So it basically was like Thanos that just wiped out half the population. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. Absolutely. Thanos was probably a bit slower, to, okay. to put it into context, just how quick the Black Death spread. Yes, context um, but is yeah, important. But a, a, yeah. great, a great way to, uh, to look at it. Well, instead of God, you know what I mean? Because yeah. decided, okay, everyone dies. Half of you die. There you go. Yeah. I did read that um, Muslim doctors, they they refused to treat patients because they didn't want to get into the will of God. 
Is that a thing across the Christian nation and the Jewish nation, or did they feel differently when it came to trying to treat the problem? It wasn't, it wasn't. As, as I've already mentioned, religion is playing a key role in, in daily life at this point. And for all the, I guess, the fault of the lack of medicine, the church today, as good of a job as they could probably do in Europe of, of trying to, to treat this, yes, they, for the most part, saw it as the divine will of God. So God moves in mysterious ways. They, If anything, they saw themselves as an instrument of God. And if somebody was healed, then it was God's will. If they died, it was also God's will. So in a way, I think it's probably quite an easy, easy get out of jail free card because, you know, we weren't able to save them. But, you know, that's the that was the thing that had to happen, unfortunately. They did attempt to isolate people and whole communities, whole towns and villages were, were cut off on purpose. So there was an understanding of maybe not how it spread, but the fact that it did spread. And this was led predominantly by local church people who were catastrophically, as you can imagine, hit by the Black Death because they were, for the most part, in very close proximity to it. But I just don't think anybody knew what to do at all, which, you know, you can't blame them for. What was the effect religiously after it? Did people go to church more? Did they go less? That's a great question. I think we talk about the Black Death like it was one thing that happened and then it stopped. But it's really important to to kind of put it into context that it happened in 1348 until 1350. Then it was back in 1360-61. Then it was back in 1370. And it pretty much we had a, in in England and, and in Northern Europe, we had an outbreak of of plague for the next 300 years on and off for you know, every, every 10, 15, 20 years. So I can imagine people started to question things, you know, and this is where we start to see changes in how people viewed religion and how, how they interacted with it. You know, we, we start to see the early signs of Lollardy in England and things like that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, people, you know, as, as we all did in 2020, 21, 22, we started to take stock, I think. Mm -hmm. And ultimately humans don't really change. And at times of immense destruction, we, we probably start to view our own mortality a bit more. And as religion was the main endpoint for that, I can imagine people really did start to to question their own personal beliefs and also, you know, the belief in in the church with a big, you know, with a capital C. So it fundamentally changed every single aspect of life, I think. I mean, this is going to be a hard question and I don't expect you to have the answer because I think it, it probably is conjecture, but was there any proof that people's mental health declined after it like you have seen with COVID? Unfortunately, there, there, there isn't proof, but that's because it wasn't a thing. It wasn't something that people considered. But I, I question anybody if they say that it didn't have a dramatic effect on people's mental health. You know, that is something that we can make a direct comparison to. Yes, the effects of COVID were much reduced, but, you know, think of the effects it did have on us as, yeah. you know, 21st century people with access to medicine and information on a level that the medieval peasant would never even be able to conceptualize, never mind think of. So I can't even begin to describe how or, or even think how much of an effect it will have had on people's mental state. You know, we start to see fundamental changes and from a certain point of view, breakdowns in society post Black Death that leads us into the early modern period and takes us out of the medieval world. So maybe not necessarily always bad mental effects, but also, you know, these big questions were, were being asked of people and by people. So yeah, I, you know, if you, if you're lucky enough to survive, you know, we're all products of survivors of the Black Death based purely on, on just how biology works. But, you know, if you, if you were able to, you know, survive, imagine if you were born in 
1330, you'd have to navigate everything that was terrible about medieval life anyway, and then be hit by every 10 years, a, a pandemic that you cannot predict, you cannot stop or control. That's going to have a real, a real serious effect on, on how you view the world. To think about the aftermath, what kind of uh, issues did people have to face? And was that a d- different between the classes of people? 100%. And that's another great question. I think when we look at the medieval period, it's very, very easy to find yourself exclusively looking at the the upper class, you know, the kings, queens, dukes, counts, all that, because that's what we have the sources for. And for the most part, I guess that's what's exciting for, for most people. It's a nice way in, but the experience is very different. It's neither positive nor negative. I think for either side, there are definitely issues on both sides of the coin, but the Black Death was a bit of a bit of a leveler in terms of it didn't care how much money you had. It didn't care if you were, you know, Joan of England, princess on her way to be um, a Spanish queen, or you know, Theobald in the field tilling his turnips. It, it, it doesn't matter. It kills everybody the same. But the you know the rich and powerful were able to escape. They were able to escape to their country houses where there were just less people to interact with. But in terms of the aftermath itself, you know, I guess the famous famous aftermath, sorry, event of the Black Death is the Peasants' Revolt in England mm-hmm. in 1381, where we see a large group of, you know, of peasants and also this emerging middle class of, of merchants. You know, I want to get the point across that the Peasants' Revolt, which is a whole other episode, is... I'm back for that one. <laughs> absolutely. I'm more than happy to. Is that, you know, it's not an event that's just for the peasants in the field. It was it was a fundamental change on a, a completely societal level. You know, but this is directly because of the Black Death. You know, there were less people to work in the fields. There was less people um, to do the same amount of work. So wages went up. Um, well, wages should have gone up, but they didn't due to you know Edward the Third. You know, the 1349 Ordinances of Labourers, which is something I always struggle to say, which, you know, was a wage cap. You could argue that in a sense, we are seeing similar things in certain places at yep. the moment. Yeah. Unofficial wage caps are being in pl- in put in place, which is forcing people to get pretty annoyed. And, you know, we're seeing strikes across, you know, the NHS. We have it in, in railways in the UK as well. And, you know, this is, I never, don't, don't want to say it's funny because it's not funny at all, but yeah. it's strange when you look back and go, as a student of this period, let's say, and go, oh, yeah, it's the Peasants' Revolt. But in 2023, it's just much slower. It's um, uncanny. Yeah, that's what it is. It's shocking, isn't it? <laughs> yes. How how uncanny, like you yes. say, it is. Um, and that's what's really annoying because it's like we we know how to fix this because we've done it before. Yeah. So why do we have to go through all of this to get to the end point that we will eventually end up anyway? It's something that's very frustrating as someone that just, you know, there's someone that knows what happens in 1381. You know, Richard II um, does the only good thing in his entire reign and essentially stops the Peasants' Revolt before it got even worse. But, you know, this is where we see the difference between rich and poor. The poor people, the 95% of the population were needed more, but were restricted at the, at, in the start. You know, and rich people needed more of them. They needed these people to work their farms. And we see this fundamental breakdown in how that transactional relationship worked. You know, most people have heard of the feudal system and serfdom. You know, serfdom is basically medieval slavery. You are tied to the land pretty much your entire life, your children are tied to that same land and you work that land, you know, for a very small wage, but you work that land, you can't move without permission, you can't marry without permission. You know, the Black Death meant that this served them, especially in England, you know, it existed in, in other countries for much later. But, you know, we see this breakdown in 
and the changing in the relationship between rich and poor that I don't think anybody in 1346 would have would have ever believed was possible. But you know, you could argue that these these things were a kind of in motion pre Black Death. Of course they were. You know, history isn't static. It's not static now. But you know, you take 40 percent of the workforce out, you're going to have to start paying them more because there's more work to do. And yeah, that that caused fundamental problems for for everybody really. So because there was um, less workforce, was there a problem with food shortages, um, agriculture, the landscape? Did that change any? Yeah, and what, what's even worse is just prior to the Black Death, um, at the start of the 14th century, there was a European-wide famine. So people were already in a position where they were struggling, even for medieval kind of levels. And yeah, there was there's reports, you know, in the in the 1340s of you know, entire fields of rotting wheat and, you know, farm animals just lay dead on the side because not because they've got the plague, but because yeah. there's no one to to look after them or bring the harvest in. So it's just multiple, multifaceted issues and they just one exacerbated the other and it, it just caused so many problems. But again, this is where we can kind of make comparatives to what we've been through in the last few years, where fundamental things that we took for granted are changed beyond belief. But yeah, like you said, if there's just no one to bring in the harvest, then that harvest isn't going to get brought in. You know, there's no combine harvesters, there's no modern technology to, to, mm -hmm. to make it work faster. It's just, you've got to find some peasants to do it. And they weren't there anymore. Did you see a lot of um, rich landowners starting to work for themselves? I mean, I don't think they were very, I don't think they wanted to record it if they did even though there was these these laws against paying people well is they were they were basically going out and trying to get other people's peasants to come and work their land because you know ultimately they wanted to eat and mm -hmm. it comes down to can i eat i'm fairly confident that there would have been you know counts and and barons and knights out in the fields not necessarily working arm in arm with their with the peasants but doing what they needed to do but they first and foremost they would just pay pay somebody else's peasants to come and work the land, which, you know, creates, I don't want to go into capitalism and all this stuff because it's it's not what this is, but it kind of mm -hmm. creates this wage market uh, and this movable workforce that, you know, we're still very much a product of now. And again, to bring it back to the 21st century, we, I think it was late 20, 2021, we started to see a lot of people leaving their jobs and going to other jobs, especially in the private sector, because there was this demand for work. Yeah. And it's very, very similar to the, you know, the 1350s in the lull periods between, you know, you start to see people moving a lot more. Yeah. Was it just um, wages they were wanting? They were wanting like, better wages? You know, like after COVID, people wanted, a lot of people wanted to stay at home and mm. have more time off because they realised they were losing out so much family time. Did they want more holidays? Did they did they push for an end of serfdom? Yeah, so I guess if we take the Peasants' Revolt as the kind of example, I don't want to say it's an isolated event. There was a very similar incident in France pretty much at the same time called the Jacquerie, which is virtually the, the Peasants' Revolt in France. But, you know, some of the leaders of, of the Peasants' Revolt, John Ball and, and Watt, Watt Tyler, sorry, were very much for the kind of destruction of serfdom. They they didn't see its value anymore. They they very much believed in the divine right of kings, which I always feel is quite a strange kind of juxtaposition to, you know, Richard II is still our king, but nobody else has that control. There, you know, there's no barons, there's no, you know, landlords anymore. And I think you can look at the Peasants' Revolt now and go, oh, they just wanted kind of 
to farm their own land and you know be free to make decisions but this is fundamentally societally you know societally changing ideas you know you can really go into the peasants revolt and see it as this push to kind of proto-communism again that's a 21st century term that we're applying with hindsight but you know this idea of you know there was ideas of collectivization and i think i'm, I'm going to butcher the quote so i'm not i'm not gonna i'm not gonna say it entirely but john ball one of the leaders says when adam and eve were about who was lord then and i think that's a it's a key thing to to kind of hold if you're thinking about well what was the point of the peasants revolt what did they want and mm. it's about this idea that we're all equal you know it again in in quotation marks it was still a very very sexist, a very status-driven society. But, you know, we're starting to see those those walls collapse in a little bit. And that's not what happened with the Peasants' Revolt. As anyone that knows what happens later is it virtually goes back to what it was with, with some changes and we do start to see the breakdown in, in serfdom. And I can actually see on a book behind you a picture of the Peasants' Revolt. It looks like the scene of Richard II meeting them in a boat. Sorry, that's just caught my eye as I was talking. <laughs> but yeah, there's, you know, we start to see this breakdown and people... I'm, again, I'm putting 21st century ideas into peasants of the medieval period's head, but I think they thought, you know, life is too short yeah. to, mm. you know, till the field of some rich landlord that is going to pay me absolutely nothing to do this. There is clearly more out there. So, you know, why can't we have that? Was that like a, a European wide phenomenon? Because you said they had it in France as well. Did they have that in maybe Germany, Russia? Yeah, it, it, it varies widely over over Europe and over the period. This is where we start to see the the Italian city-states really start to come into their own. Like I've already mentioned Florence, 95% of an entire city erased virtually overnight. You know, you start to see these prominent families and banking families emerge and the importance of, of the guilds and, um, you know, the, the famous, not the Bardi, they'd gone at this point, um, the Medici. Borgias and the Medici, people absolutely, people like that who appear in, in Italy and it is widespread, but also it's so varied that it's really hard to pin down. You know, Germany, at this point, you mentioned Germany, as many people will know, it's, yeah. it's, not, it's not a country, it doesn't exist. It's, no. it's this weird collection of states and countries and kingdoms and archbishoprics and i can't even begin to uh, the holy roman empire blows my mind um neither but, holy nor roman nor an nor empire none <laughs> um, of those things there, there needs to there's so much research on the black death and the effects of it but i don't think we'll ever have enough because it's such a in a very selfish way as a historian it's, it's such a giving topic because there's just so much so much that happens but it really st starts to whether you believe it's the start or a symptom of a move away from feudalism, which again, you may argue never even happened. Some historians now don't believe in feudalism. I do, because um, I'm simple like that. But you know, this is really where we start to see a move away from it. And if it happens in England, it's probably going to happen in, in Flanders because it's happening in France and it's happening in Castile. Because as is the same now, people, countries and, and nations learn from each other and have to compete on, on a rapidly globalizing stage. What do you think is the legacy of the Black Death today? It's to be honest, it's probably easy to say what isn't the legacy of the Black Death. I ultimately, I think, like I said earlier, I think it's the most important event, maybe since the fall of the Western Roman Empire in the fifth century, because it fundamentally changes everything from a you know a person to person level to a to a societal level. It takes us out of the medieval period into the Renaissance or early modern period. Mm. Like I said, whether that's a symptom or the cause, 
probably will never know, but you know, it, it has absolutely no bearing on medicine whatsoever. Ironically, that's probably the only thing it doesn't have any effect on because, you know, for another, what, 300 years, we still don't know. No, 500 years. We still don't know what causes, you know, the vast majority of diseases and illnesses. I think it's the 1850s when we get the germ theory. But it's very, very easy and incorrect to look at historical events in isolation, I think, mm -hmm. except the Black Death. You know, the Battle of Hastings was just a random Tuesday essentially. I don't know if it was on a Tuesday. Please, if I've got that wrong, nobody come for me. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was just, yes, it was a very important event, but it's just one of those things that happened. That's the next episode, actually. Yeah. Oh, is it? Brilliant. <laughs> Spoilers. No. Um, but the Black Death is so fundamental to, you know, how we view a period pre and post the event. You know, 1346 and 1350 are different worlds. They are completely changed. The population of England doesn't recover until Henry VII is king. So terrible at maths. So another 120 years it takes to recover even close to the pre-Black Death numbers. And we're still not sure if that's even accurate. You know, the population of England is up for some debate, but mm -hmm. they think it was maybe around four to five million pre-Black Death and about two million post-Black Death, which... You said, what's the legacy? I think, like I've said at the start, 60% of a population disappearing is, is a legacy that is never going to be topped, hopefully. But yeah, it, it's mm. that's a whole episode in itself, I think, the legacy of the Black Death. And it's annoying, as we've said, when we, we look at what's happening now in 2023 and go, yeah, there is a lot that's the same as 1381. And we're making the same mistakes again that we made then. And, yeah. you know... Those that don't learn history are doomed to repeat it. And I think this is a very clear example of that. I wasn't even going to ask this question, but it just came to my mind. See, because the population was decimated, basically, did that have an effect on the 100 years war? Because that was going on at the time. So we did Agincourt last last weekend. We did Agincourt. That was this massive victory. Did it have a, an effect on that? It's, it's a weird one because in a way it didn't. It really didn't. One of the a kind of famous parts of the Black Death and, and war and the Hundred Years' War is the, the Order of the Garter, the, the famous English fraternity of, of knights, is established in 1348 in the middle of the Black Death. You know, this is something that is, you know, Edward III, who is king until the 1370s, who lives through the bulk of this and is outside of Henry V, probably the most successful English king when it comes to the Hundred Years' War. You know, he wins the Battle of Cressy in 1346, just before. But then in 1356, his son, the Black Prince, wins um, the Battle of Poitiers, again, in the middle of the Black Death. You know, these things are still happening in a way because I think they still wanted them to happen. Yes, there was a, luckily, probably in a way, there was a bit of a lull after Cressy and the Siege of Calais. So, you know, right as the Black Death is hitting the south coast of England and it's ravaging through France, there is this peace settlement that exists for a while. And then you get one again in the 1360s, which either coincidentally or quite nicely coincides with another outbreak. But it's as if there's, there's always enough men to fight. There might mm. not be, you know, it's just another thing to deal with. But it, it's a good question. And I think there's probably more room for um, kind of research into the effects on, on the Hundred Years' War. Because obviously it starts in 1340 and it ends in 1453, if I got my dates right, for the Hundred Years' War that isn't a hundred years or a war. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's like the Holy Roman Empire, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. 
But um, but yeah, 116 it's, it's or something. 116 years, I think. Well, yeah, it's like three but, phases as well. It's not even like yeah. It's weird. what did I, I wrote that it's not the Hundred Years' War. It's like 116 years of intermittent conflict yeah. between two kingdoms with multiple other kingdoms in in Cold Wars. And yeah, it's it's obscene when you think about the other Hundred Years' War. But again, that's another episode. But yeah, it's um, it's as if there was always enough fighting men left to to have a good scrap. You've just decimated the whole population, but it's all right. We've got a war to fight. Let's go. Yeah, priorities, right? Priorities, exactly. No one cancels the fight. No, <laughs> no, because no, because tournaments continued. You know, famously in 1348, Edward III, who was pretty against tournaments, hosted a giant tournament with the with the formation of the Order of the Garter. You know, these were still happening in London of all places, which were you know the centres of pandemic. It's just imagine if. The you know the people in charge were doing you know stupid things like you know hosting parties maybe yeah it's funny isn't it how history really is cyclical but um, yeah. life seemed to carry on a little bit more normal for the for the rich and powerful mm. whilst everyone was dying in the fields another thing that's not changed nope unfortunately the the cycle that continues is the people that were doing well before tend to as a rule do do well afterwards but yeah seems mm. to be the way it is uh, what preventative changes did they bring in if any they tried many different things. They they really did try their best with the think the limited knowledge that they had. Isolations, like I said, were you know were something that were in place, but they didn't really know why they were isolating people. They just knew that it was kind of the right thing to do. Smells or bad air, miasmas were usually the blame. Kind of the most scientifically sounding blames were were these things, and they knew it was being transferred from person to person, but they had no concept of how. They used to like to soak things in vinegar and, and rose water, um, like the actual buboes. They would they would kind of soak them in there. Did nothing, absolutely nothing. Probably just made you, you know, smell like vinegar and probably even more in pain. Yeah. Um, and you know the the, the classic bloodletting with leeches and and things oh, yeah. like that. There are medicinal benefits to that, but I don't know. I'm not a scientist, but it definitely didn't help the play. I'm just, mm. you know put it out there now. It definitely didn't praying i guess mm. is the is the go-to for for most people because it's you know to, in their mind it's what's worked in the past and it's what what will continue to work obviously it didn't work for many people but you know people did survive people were able to get over this but very very few people did people like survive after catching the plague yeah so from based on estimates i think the bubonic plague is is about 60 percent, 70 percent lethal so most people unfortunately got it and then within a week were were, were dead but you know, the pneumonic plague, you you weren't surviving that. But mm. there, there was very, very lucky people that were able to survive it, but but not many. You've said, you said it before, there was, there's a link between mass movement and the spread of it. See, when you look now, I don't know, this is something that really irritates me now. We've just went through COVID, we, we know about the Black Death, and we, we've seen all these mass movements of illegal immigrants coming into all over Europe and all over America. Do you think we've learned anything at all from both? That's a huge question, and it's a difficult question to answer, um, but I'll give it a go, because that's why I'm here. <laughs> I think the movement of people is obviously the cause and sometimes and the effect, the transmission of, of diseases and things like that. Unfortunately, that's just never going to go away. I think what the, the issue is, is the kind of ignorance around it. I think... It's 2023. We have access to everything a human being can pretty much ever want. If we're ignoring scientific facts, then we're to blame. But unfortunately, as was the same in the 1340s, you know, now there are there are other factors at play that 
mean things have to happen in certain ways that aren't always beneficial to, you know, party A, whereas party B will benefit. You know, it's not decisions I would want to make at all. You know, I'm glad that's not my job. How do you pick essentially between humanity? Because that, that's ultimately what, what it is. And I think, no, in, in, in short, we haven't learned anything, but also there's so many other things at play that even if we had the lessons kind of kind of null and void, you know, traveling during COVID was a nightmare. And in a way, rightfully so, it, it, it had to be. You know, I, I flew in 2021 when it was pretty much back to normal. And I went to Greece and the Greek um, authorities were phenomenal. Masks everywhere. You could not do this. You could not do that. It was 40 degrees and I was wearing a mask on a bus and it was horrible. But I was very grateful for the, the care and attention. You know, that's the right way to do it. I was still able to go on holiday with my girlfriend. We had a great time, but we were very much protected and we were protecting other people. So I think if it's done correctly and fairly, then it's 2023. We, we can do it. Yeah, I, we, we really haven't. To, to take that question wider, we have learned literally mm. nothing. I just feel that way when you see them on TV and they're herding them like cattle and they're not being kept in yeah. adequate housing and they, they must be catching things like diseases and stuff and then yeah. putting them in really close quarters together. It, yeah, it's, it's like a pandemic waiting to happen. It's, it is. And imagine if COVID comes back now. You know, we this wasn't happening during the pandemic, but what if it happens right now? Like you said, there's shipping containers full of poor people, like just trying to trying to escape something. And, you know, it's it's just so narrow minded and short sighted that he heaven forbid something bad happens again. Not that COVID has gone away. It's still something yeah. you can catch now and it's still fairly prevalent. When you put it that way, it's really scary. Do you think our government will learn anything? No, <laughs> absolutely not. And I don't need to expand on that. I think <laughs> I'm assuming the vast majority of your listeners will know what I mean. I think the whole country is yeah. with that. I believe in Larry. I think he will. He would do a good job. Yeah. Out of all of them, he's probably the only one. He's qualified. So. I think yeah. So. Where well, seemingly anyone is at this point. <laughs> yeah. I'll see if my cat fancies a go. Thank you so much for your time. We have questions at the end of you. Don't mind Absolutely. just answering questions, right? Yeah, go for it. So what historical mystery would you like solved? I mean, my go-to is The Princess in the Tower. I did that. Yeah, of course. Just so I could tell Matt Lewis what happened. Um, but I think that kind of derails his whole career, so I don't really want to do that to him. Okay, let's see if I can think of anything else. Okay, I'll go a little bit more niche. And it's not really a mystery, but it's something i just like to know. Did Eleanor of Aquitaine have an affair with her uncle? I don't think she did at all, but I'd like to just be able to tell everybody, nope, she didn't do it. She's perfect. No. She's great. She never did anything wrong. <laughs> uh, that's a good one. That's actually so funny because me, me and Natalie, we differ when it comes to Richard III, don't we? Okay. And we had we a Richard III episode that came out and we had to cut half of it. Because we're arguing that much. Well, I've got the um, I've got a Ricardian boar on my arm, so I'm I'm pretty 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 clear which uh, which side of the fence I'm on. I'm not saying I don't think he did it, but oh no, we're anyway. fans. <laughs> Both of us are fans. I just think he did it, and I don't think that's a bad thing. I think he's a medieval king, and they did totally I think he had his reasons. If he did, but I'm yeah. not going to start. I don't want to start any uh, any drama. <laughs> It's a pretty hot topic when it comes to this period, though, isn't it? Exactly. It's like yeah. the number one question everybody wants to know the answer to. We, we did have a question about historic tattoos that you would have, but you obviously have some. Yeah. Uh, if you could have another one, what would it be? 
So I've got a plan for for another one. So it, on on my arm here, I have the Black Prince, which yep. is the worst tattoo I've ever had in terms of pain. Never get the inside of your bicep tattooed. If anyone's listening, thinking about it, it sucks. <laughs> Absolutely sucks. But I'm going to get on my on my left forearm. I want to get Eleanor of Aquitaine and, and Henry II's portraits as like traditional tattoo style portraits on my arm and then that'll pretty much finish my arms off for good but uh yeah historical tattoos are so cool there's so many great artists that do them in the kind of the woodcut style which many of mine are now more power to you and more people should get medieval tattoos i think they're wicked yeah mine are thinking of getting some matching ones should do it 100 (laughs) percent. do you think you would have survived the plague no not even remotely Absolutely not. I am somehow I will catch anything. So there's just no chance. I had pneumonia when I was when I was about five. And even if I just use that as an example, you know, if I'd have caught that in 1348, I'm I'm a goner. You know, I was very fortunate. You know, I was born when I was born, so I didn't have to. My poor mother didn't have to go through that. But you know, there's no chance. Absolutely. Not. I do live in the I did live in the country growing up, so maybe I'd have escaped. Yeah. But knowing my immune system, nah, I don't think I would. <laughs> What lessons from history would you like people to learn? Another good question, and it's, it's a huge one, isn't it? I guess, to be flippant, is learn history. Um, because I think, you know, if, if you pay attention to it, you can see signs of things. You know, the Black Death, COVID-19, it's clear that there are parallels. Okay, we can't stop biological things happened. We, we, we can't stop those. We can, um, But we can fix them post. Or we can, you know, we can look at what happens after an event and go, okay, is this going to happen again? If it is, you know, what's the response? But unfortunately, history is cyclical. It seems to, for better or for worse, just move in these cycles. And ultimately, I don't think we can always learn from history because it seems to just happen whether we want it to or not. But history is the best, isn't it? I mean, we, we, we clearly like it because we're doing a podcast on it. But <laughs> I think it just gives you a great base understanding of, of humankind. Mm. Um, yeah. I think... You know, especially the medieval period, which is which is my area. Um, in case anyone didn't know, it teaches you how truly awful people can be, and and how good people can be, and and how simple we are at the end of the day. We we like to, you know, we like food, we like to enjoy ourselves, spend times with friends and family, and ultimately, I don't think we're ever going to change. So, as awful as this episode has been, and you know, we're talking about millions of deaths. The things that we enjoyed during COVID, you know, whether it was a quiz over Zoom, obviously they weren't doing that back then, but there will have been similar things that people would have clung to as communities. And Mm. that's quite nice to know that, you know, 800 years ago and probably 800 years in the future and so on, we'll still do the same things just in, in slightly different ways. I think that's it. That's why Natalie hates me because I'm a complete technophobe. I cannot (laughs) ban technology. I think I was born for the medieval life. I think that's why I don't like it. I like my my profession before I got really into history. Well, I've always loved history, but before I was a cognitive behavioural therapist. So I've always been obsessed with human nature mm. and why humans do things and like the human psyche. And being around other humans is just so important. So I see a lot of AI taking over and... I think it's really sad and I do actually like worry what 100 years from now is going to look like for the human population. Yeah, I think on the face of it, I totally, totally agree. But the kind of comfort I've got is 100 years ago, the horse was the most important thing in the world and the car had appeared and everyone was like, oh my God, this is the worst thing ever. And it just changes slightly. So I take kind of comfort in that, that 30 years ago, we didn't have the internet. Now the internet is you know, connecting us three right now. And it's amazing. 
there's always a negative, but there's always, if you really look, you know, if you squint at it, there's a positive as well, but I'm also terrified of AI, but I'm hoping it's going to be the car to the horse, not anything terrible. It's interesting you say that because we mentioned it in at least one episode. I can't remember which one. I think it was Catherine one, actually, Catherine of Aragon, because we were talking about how it actually comes back to another thing you said about how internet has everything at our fingertips now and we can learn, but a lot of people don't. Mm. They choose not to do that because apparently Kardashians are more interesting. And in terms of the the horse and cart, that's the example I always use when people say, oh, this is not the way we do things. And it can be about anything. And then I immediately in my head kind of want to give them or even sometimes do give them the lecture about the horse and cart and the Mr. Ford building an engine because said, yes, but that's what they said back then. That's not the way we, we do things. What's wrong with the horse and cart? And now, you know, this person who said it is enjoying, you know, an airplane instead of going, you know, by horse and cart to another country. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's a good point. And I think you can look at progress as, you know, this horrendous like destruction of tradition and history, however you want to view it. And I think that's obviously the case quite a lot of the time. And this, I totally agree in, in the in the point you made about like the more pe- more access to information, the less people seem to, to want to absorb it. But I guess that's why this kind of thing is so important. You know, I was cooking earlier, listening to a podcast, whereas 40 years ago, what's a podcast? Mm -hmm. You know, I can't take that little 20 bit of information in whilst cooking or whatever I'm doing on my way to work. I can't listen to an audio book or quickly search for, you know, what's Eleanor Bacatone's favorite color. Like I can't do that up until right now. So. Oh my God, what is it? I have no idea, by the way. I'm going to guess purple (laughs) just because everybody (laughs) is the richest color. Um, If anybody knows, please let me know. Um, that'd be a great uh, tidbit to know. Yeah, I think access to information is is great, but also if you choose to ignore it, then we're ex- exactly the same as we were when we didn't have it. Yeah. yeah, ignore actually is a good word in here because I read it somewhere. Someone told me I can't remember a few years ago, and it went like this. So if before the age of information, before the age of internet, Wi-Fi, and everything, people didn't know where to find information because they didn't have access to it, and now it seems like they do but they choose not to ignore everything else because the the wisdom is knowing now what to ignore around you Mm. and just focus on whatever you want to learn, basically. Yes, it's it's definitely, I would say, true because there is so much information out there. And I was having this conversation literally last week about like access to information and why it's so important to allow access, but also you can Google anything and probably find the answer, whichever answer you want. So, you know, the importance of, multiple sources, you know, read multiple books yeah. on a topic or whatever it is, or listen to multiple podcasts. Or, you know, I'm, I'm a massive audiobook fan because, you know, I've always struggled with reading. Um, so that's a massive way in for me. Um, mm. But it's important to not just read one thing or listen to one thing on it because, you know, that can't be your entire truth. It, there has to be more out there. And if it's there, why not? Yeah, especially history-wise, because mm. even the primary sources, they're all biased. It's, it's written by people who are biased. So yeah. you have to think, right, what's their agenda at the end of the day? And who's this written by and why? I like your magazine because mm-hmm. you say on your mission statement or whatever you would call it, you allow writers that are not all academic. And I like that because I think for too long history has been kind of gatekept, gatekept, 
they've been gatekeeping okay. history and I do think that was wrong because history is for everybody everybody made up history it shouldn't just be for the academics and everybody has something to learn from history yeah and and you, you know as you've rightly pointed out there you know the historians magazine which I'm very grateful to be a part of a, a core part of it from day one has been like you said to get people involved in history that don't go through the conventional or are still going through the conventional. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't have a degree yet. I'm still working through my degree. I'm, I'm 30. I took a part-time degree during COVID. So COVID was a very, very beneficial time for me, building on a lifetime, you know, passion for history. And it's something that I'm really proud of that, you know, we've worked with with PhD students, we've worked with professors and, you know, through masters of their craft down to A-level students and people that have just enjoyed history their whole life. The vast majority of time, the quality of work is is there to be seen, and you can't tell who's written that. Yeah, it's something that we we really want to make sure that we always keep, you know, at the centre of the historians magazine and and the little historians magazine. It is for everyone, like you said, to enjoy and also to to take part in. Thank you so much. No problem at all. Thanks for having me. Thank you for tuning in to the very first of our spooky episodes. Please like, subscribe and share with your friends. Our guest today was Chris Riley. You can find him on Instagram with the handle at Chris Riley History and find at The Historian's Magazine on Instagram and X of the Twitter. If you'd like to become a member of the magazine, please follow the link thehistoriansmagazine.com. Gemma and myself, you can find us on social media. The handle is at If It Ain't Baroque Podcast on Instagram. And we have an account on the X of the Twitter where we are at Baroque Podcast. And if you'd like to read our blog and find out more, please visit the website ifitaintbaroque.art. If you'd like to join me on one of my walking tours, and I have three at the moment, one about the medieval and Tudor monarchs, one about the Georgian and Windsor monarchs, and one about naughty London in Southwark, please join me. The website is reignoflondon.com and there will be links in the description of this episode. Thank you so much and see you next time.